I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, it is Tuesday, the 14th of January. I'm Jules Breach, he's Andy Brassel, and this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Coming up today, we're going to be talking about how England and especially Tottenham now cope without Harry Kane. And also lots of you have been in touch about mental health and coaches. So we're going to be discussing that too. Andy, how are you? Another busy weekend of football. Uh, yeah, it was a busy weekend. Uh, obviously, Saturday had its disappointments with uh, my AFC Wimbledon losing what can only be described as the Football Ramble Daily Derby <laughs> at Portsmouth. Although we only lost 2-1, uh, which given that we're not very good and given that over the course of the season, we won the previous game 1-0. So essentially, we've taken it on away goals. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse. It could be. That's the thing. I think Brighton losing to Everton also could have been worse. But did you see Trossard hit the bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That would have been sweet if that went in, but it wasn't meant to be. We weren't particularly great against Everton. Yeah. You see, with Carlo Ancelotti, when he's under, when his team are under pressure, you feel that you see more chin and less eyebrow <laughs> and uh, you definitely felt there was more chin in the last 15 minutes of that yeah I just tense. feel like Everton aside from the FA Cup they've been nicking wins haven't they and they've just been getting the job done so fair play to Everton under Ancelotti yeah obviously there's the fact that one defeat did cause an inordinate amount of anger which is uh, gonna last for a, so a, much a, a, a while yeah but I don't think that's really pinned on Ancelotti, is it? No. Uh, it, feels, it feels like that anger is more directed to the players and other 100%. areas of the club. You felt off, off the back of the Merseyside derby in the FA Cup last week um, that they were, there was no pressure on Ancelotti at all. I think the fans are pretty happy with how things have gone. Mm. It was more directed at the players. Like, how can you go from playing like that in the first half against Liverpool to the way they played in the second half in the FA Cup. So uh, they certainly got the response that they wanted at Goodison Park, didn't they? Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to the FA Cup because a lot of you have been mailing in about the FA Cup chat. Really interesting after the FA Cup chat we had last week, how many of you have got in touch. And even some younger people, Jules. So now we know how... Oh, the, we are down we, with the kids. We know how the young people, we're going to know how the young people <laughs> uh, think about the FA Cup. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into that a bit later. Yeah, me too. Um, I hear also that you celebrate Christmas again this weekend. I thought Christmas was over. Uh, yeah, not not with my godchildren. We celebrated Christmas again because we didn't get to see them before Christmas. Full turkey trimmings and all that. A pizza. Oh, <laughs> same thing, isn't it? Hardly Christmas. Yeah. 
<laughs> just a family get together then. I, I, yeah, I, I think it's festive. Once you get truffle oil on the pizza, it's definitely <laughs> festive. Do you know what? I went a couple of weeks after, you know, you know when you just pig out over Christmas and you've eaten so much food that you Don't think, know what you mean. I just need a little bit of a break. I've done that now. I went back to my local pub around the corner from mine and had the most amazing roast on really? Sunday. It was so good. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm now back in the mood for roast dinners every week. See, I cooked, uh, uh, if I do say so myself, I only did half of it, an amazing roast oh. on Sunday. But when you haven't got Bundesliga football at the end of it, it, you know what? You really need, in my opinion, two Bundesliga games to accompany a roast or to, to see your roast down <laughs> after you've eaten it. What's your specialty when you cook your roast? What's the thing you're really good at in the roast dinner? Because I've got my, my specialty with a roast. I, I learned how to cook proper Yorkshires like yeah. pro- probably about six or seven years ago. Mm. And um, yeah, no one, that, no, no one else beats them. That's the, I, I is that go, how you feel? I wouldn't go that far. See, no one else beats my potatoes. Is that, is my that roast right? potatoes, they are sensational if I do say so myself. And listeners, you'll have to keep listening because George <laughs> is going to reveal the secret after our mails it's at the end. It's not really much secret. Just basically make it really oily. No, 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 don't give it away. Don't <laughs> give right. away. All right. I'll tell you the secret a little bit later on. All right, well, let's get to talking about football then because there's a headline that has caught both mine and Andy's eye in the last day or so, and that is that Jose Mourinho has raised the prospect that Harry Kane could potentially be missing Euro 2020 off the back of his hamstring injury. Now, I know the boys on Football Ramble yesterday spoke about the potential replacements for Harry Kane in the England squad, but we wanted to focus a bit more on who could potentially replace Harry Kane at Tottenham? Because this is a huge loss. And I think that the really interesting thing is, is that a few days ago, obviously we knew Harry Kane had the hamstring injury. We knew he was going to be having surgery at the weekend. But what we were all led to believe is that Harry Kane could be back in training as early as April. And we all know what Harry Kane tends to be like when he has an injury, tends to come back earlier than expected, doesn't he? That's, mm. That seemed to be the trend over the last couple of seasons when he has been missing through injury, is that he's always come back earlier. So now the fact that Jose Mourinho has addressed this and said that he could be out for the rest of the season, this is huge news, both for England and Tottenham. Yeah, and even longer than that. I mean, the exact quote is, um, we try the best we can. News on Harry, we don't have. And if you ask me every time we come here, the answer will be the same. We expect him to be out until mid-April, end of April, May, next season. I don't know. Mm. I mean, that's quite broad, that's isn't it? That's a very and, vague timescale, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and also, I have to say, it's very Jose Mourinho, isn't it? To, to make something as simple as that into a massive drama. It is though, isn't it? He can't help himself, no, can he? he? Can't. Um, but it, I, I do think... On one hand, it's actually quite sensible because I think that the whole issue with Harry Kane and his fitness, you talked about him coming back quickly. He has often come back too quickly. Too and he's, he's often tried to play through injuries. And, you know, his solution is, is never rest. It's almost counterintuitive to what is, you know, modern best practice, really. He thinks if you're not feeling your best, play through it. If you're not in great form, play through it. That is Harry Kane's solution to everything. Play through it. And in the past, I know, I think it's not quite fair to say that he's quite at the same level as Leo Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, that there are a lot of traits that he shares with them. Of course, there's the goal productivity over the past four or five seasons in one of one of the best leagues out there. Um, 
but also the fact that he won't rest. Now, of course, he's got five or six years on Messi and more on Cristiano Ronaldo. But um, they reached, they both reached a point individually um, where they had to rethink the way they dealt with things. And obviously, an injury such as the one that he's had, that can just happen to any player, regardless of preparation, regardless of the stress they put in their bodies, regardless of you know, how much of a pound of flesh their their team or teams, uh, when we include international teams, want to get out of them. Um, but I think when you look at the injuries he's had over um, the last year or so, yes, there's, there's misfortune in it. But I think there has to be some sort of way of rethinking it. And, you know, Manchester City had, had, had been there before, haven't they, with Sergio Aguero. When, uh, you know, an, another player, another striker in the Premier League who had an incredible weekend, um, reaching another another goal milestone, another hat-trick milestone in, in, in his case. And we congratulate him for it. But, you know, City were constantly tense over his fitness status. And they kind of wrapped him in in cotton wool. Now, post-Guardiola, when you got to a point where they had more players to pick from, they had Gabriel Jesus as a, a capable backup and or competitor, um, that put them in a different place where they could demand Aguero to, to do more. Now, I think the issue with Tottenham is if, if you look, say, imagine he's out between now and the, the end of the season. Uh, let's imagine his season's over, yeah. for example. Either way, I mean, he's, he's going to be out for, say, three months. So they need to find someone who not just replaces him in the short term, but can at least to a degree compete with or play with him in the medium term. Because it's got to be a signing that not just replaces Kane in the short term, but takes some of the pressure off him in the medium term. And it, and it is a difficulty. I mean, you've you've had this uh, at Bayern Munich with Robert Lewandowski. He was asking for ages for some sort of locum so he didn't have to play all the games. And then that guy turned up in Sandro Wagner and when he didn't play, he didn't like it. And, you know, you can imagine exactly the same thing happening with Harry Kane. It's a very, very difficult thing to manage. And especially you look at the amount of teams that don't play 4-4-2 these days and Tottenham, of course, largely being one of them on the whole. And that has always been the difficulty. And maybe it's been building up to this point, but because Kane is so stellar and because Spurs tend to play with one striker, who do you get of sufficient quality? I know it's a budgetary issue with Spurs as well, but who do you get of sufficient quality who's happy to only play as sub or when Kane's injured? I mean, that's a, that's a difficult sell to, to top players. And when it comes to this job of supplementing and replacing him in the short term, what, what do you do? It's a difficult question, isn't it? It's really tough. And especially you make the point there about finding someone who is willing to sit on the bench most weeks in the Premier League and be second choice. Because mm. as we know, Harry Kane plays 90 minutes pretty much every single weekend. Whether that's his choice or not, that's what happens with Spurs. So it's not only just finding someone who's willing to be, you know, second string when Kane is back fit, but someone who also 
can play to the same system that Kane plays in as well and finding that exact type of striker that fits the way Tottenham play. And you you mentioned a minute ago about Sergio Aguero and Gabriel Jesus. We talked a, a few weeks ago on Jules and Andy about just how important and how fortunate as well Manchester City are to have a player as good as Gabriel Jesus as a second striker who yeah. is willing to play second fiddle to Sergio Aguero. That's why Tottenham have never really had a very good second choice striker because they know they're not going to play and no striker wants to move to a club where they know they're going to be second choice unless maybe they're a youngster who wants to learn their trade and get experience. So Troy Parrott, obviously, yeah. at Tottenham at the moment. Immediately, you're thinking of a wide player who can play in the middle if, if he needs to, aren't yeah. you? And yeah. at the moment, obviously, Tottenham have got... Lucas Moura, who can play as a number nine and yeah. he played in that position against Liverpool and Son can also play in that striker role. But we all know that both of those players are better off not playing as a number nine. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's not their favoured position. They can fill in in that role. And I actually think Lucas Moura played quite well as a number nine against Liverpool. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, it's finding that right player who fits the Tottenham way of playing but who's also willing to be number two. And it's going to be very hard for them to find someone that is good enough and willing to be a number two. And I think that's what Tottenham's problem has been over the years, finding a backup for Kane. Yeah, and um, obviously the Fernando Llorente thing was, was, it was kind of limited success, very limited success. On the whole, it wasn't successful, but because he scored a couple of vital goals mm-hmm. in the Champions League, we can almost gloss over it, mm-hmm. really. That's 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 the thing, isn't it? And of course, there was the, the away leg at Ajax where he, he, he weighed in really heavily in the semi-final as well. Um, but overall, it, it, it wasn't a success. Um, I mean, we've heard uh, Christoph Piontek of, of Milan mentioned, which I think is quite an interesting one. I think it's an indication of where they are Price-wise, really, because the they, they can't go much over thirty million. You know, they don't have the the, the budget to do that. And clearly, you're not going to get a player who's anywhere near Kane's level for that sort of no, money. And, and also, the whole reason that Piontek wants to leave Milan, as far as what we're led to believe in, in the newspapers and and it, like you know, in whatever the uh, reporters are reporting, is it's because Zlatan's back, so he knows he's not going to play. So. The same thing's going to happen, isn't it? When he, if he's at Tottenham, mm. if Kane comes back, he's going to be in exactly the same position. I, I guess how you would sell it to him, if you know he's, he's he's not going to at least play some of the games going forward when we look into next season or whenever it is Kane, Kane comes back on a, on, a, on a regular basis. I guess maybe you would say to him, "Well, look, if you come and you score goals in the Premier League, other Premier League clubs will want to buy you." Maybe that's the way you sell it, but it's it's not an easy equation to to work out. I think, and um, you know, they do have to find a way of of getting around this. But like I said, I think it needs to be not just a this is us seeing ourselves through to the end of the season. But I think how I would say say if Piontek was the one, and there's doubt over whether that's the case. There's doubt over whether there's the unanimous. Um, opinion in the Spurs boardroom over over whether he would be the guy to to, to, to go and get. But say so you did decide he was the guy. If if I was a, a member of the the, the, the the football thinking at Tottenham and the football influencers influencers at Tottenham, I think I would say, look, the way we're looking to do this is not just you play between now and the end of the season, but we want to take more pressure off Harry going forward. We don't want him to play. 38 league games a season now perhaps Kane's going to have a problem with that Mm. I think Kane would have a problem with that but there's clearly not at least not for the moment 
there's not the same closeness between Kane and Mourinho as there was between Kane and Pochettino. That was the special relationship. But are Tottenham in a better position to manage this going forward and manage Kane not playing 50, 60 games a season with Mourinho? Because Mourinho, whatever you think of him as a coach, he has undeniable status. And therefore, if there's anyone who can say to Harry Kane, look, you know, say as Manchester City did with Aguero, if we're going back pre-Gabriel Jesus, if we're going back, I don't know, four or five years or whatever, is someone to say to Kane, look, we can't afford you to play 50, 55 games a season. You're going to have to sit sometimes. Just deal with it. And I think that that is something that is going to have to be really important now for, for Tottenham to do because what we've seen for the last few seasons is that Harry Kane plays every game. He plays 90 minutes most games, doesn't he? You very, uh, very rarely see him get mm. subbed off before the end of a game. And then he also plays all the internationals because he's such a big part of the England squad. Well, he, just, there is, he loves to, doesn't he? He loves it. He loves to. And, and, you know, this is what we all hear is that Harry Kane wants to play every single game. He wants to play every game for England. He wants to play every game for Tottenham. He wants to captain the sides that he plays for. He just loves it. And But the reality is you can't do that no. anymore. And now we've seen over the last few seasons is that, he keeps getting injured. And especially when it comes to a recurring injury, I know that this one isn't necessarily that. I'm not sure whether Harry Kane has had a hamstring injury as bad as this before, but we've seen him injure the same ankle a couple of times. Last season, it was a recurring injury from the season before. And the more this continues to happen, the more worrying that is for that player because he's still got age on his side, hasn't he? He's got got time to still continue to develop and, and... break endless records which we know Kane wants to do that's the type of player he is and the only way he's going to be able to do that is if he manages his game time and and I think that that's Tottenham and England's job to do that now but is it the job as well of elite players to change their mindsets to commute their mindsets as they get older because I think it is because you think Cristiano Ronaldo who you know less less be he's like, a blunt about it yeah but also he's someone with a massive hero complex mm. and he's always been something with a massive hero complex but yet he has reached the point which i never thought he would reach and say someone like steven gerrard when the time came for him to evolve never really did reach mm. to say you know what i can't do what i used to do maybe i need to go about it a, a slightly different way and, you know, it comes to everyone. Like Messi had to, you know, have Neymar and Suarez brought in. So he had someone to do the running for him. And he had to change the way he played a, a little bit. Players do have to change the way they play as time goes on. Because football at the elite level is exhausting. It's so taxing. Every game is an effort. And you, you can't be in a situation where you're essentially patching up one of your best players to to go on every game. And I think it was a key point, talking of Cristiano Ronaldo, actually, who's, as, as you say, got this image as a total machine. When there was this big fuss earlier in the season about uh, Maurizio Sarri subbing him for Juventus, mm, yeah, yeah. The, the big thing in the, in the development of that story was Cristiano Ronaldo, after he played twice for Portugal, coming out in front of the media and saying... Well, Sarri's right to drop me. I've been carrying an injury and I haven't been playing well. And for Ronaldo to say that was absolutely enormous. Um, I don't think that Harry Kane is is that far along the line by any stretch of the imagination. Um, 
we're, but but it's, it's clear that he's not invincible. And it's clear that it's something that has to be thought about going forward. And say if, I don't know, say if he was back in April and say if Spurs are, I don't know, four points shy of the Champions League places with four games left. They throw him straight back in. I think they probably do. Should yeah. they throw him straight back in? No. no. No, absolutely not. And I remember thinking that this at that point last year when he was injured and we were all expecting him to come back a good few weeks after the point he did and everyone was so surprised at how early he returned from his injury last year. Well, should he have played in the Champions League final? Well, no, but then that was that was a big debate, wasn't it? Yeah. Should Kane play or shouldn't he play? He obviously played and it didn't particularly go too well. And, you know, it's mm. I, I don't know. I think that that that's an argument that Spurs fans will will kind of continue to debate whether or not that was the right decision or not. But I think Luke Moore made a really good point. Um, we actually teamed up together on TalkSport on Friday night, which was really good fun. And he made the point about Kane and said, could this actually be the beginning of the the kind of downfall of Kane's career from here? Because we've now seen him get injured quite a few times. And we've seen that happen with very talented players in the past where they keep getting injured. and it could potentially be the start of what could be Kane's career sort of slightly going on a downward spiral. I mean, I hope not because yeah. as you all know, I am I am country over club. So I want to see Harry Kane fit for the Euros. I want to see him play this summer and I want to see him continue to break records for England and, and continue to score goals for us for a number of years to come. And I Well, hope... if his level starts to drop a bit, it could be playing for Brighton in two years' time. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll absolutely <laughs> take that. But, that. but that is the thing is I think that... The, a really good point you made, Andy, is that it's now about managing Kane's fitness and perhaps it's now time that they did bring in a second striker that he will share minutes with and Kane's just going to have to adapt to that. I think Daniel Levy today is, is proud of the players because of what the players did. He's proud of uh, one kid that came from the academy and uh, and showed the world that he is a new player for the, for the Premier League uh, level. And Daniel Levy always try to do the best for the club and he will do what he thinks is the best and what he thinks is possible. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. There's been a lot of interest in um, the thing we touched on last week. It was an email from uh, Andy Clapton about mental health and football managers. Uh, thanks again for that, Andy. He's followed that up. Um, great to hear your initial thoughts on Tuesday. I uh, absolutely agree that you would expect managers to be harder hit than anyone else as is one, if not the, one of, if not the highest pressure job in the industry. Incidentally, Andy also attaches a photo of his uh, ferry ride when he heard us respond to the question. There's a good crew of Ramble listeners here in Shanghai. Ah, That's decent, isn't it? Um, We've also um, had a mail from uh, Lewis Magnus uh, uh, about it, uh, saying, Dear dear Jules and Andy, firstly, thanks for a boss show. Really enjoyed it this season. Uh, Not only top broadcasters, but you both clearly really love football and that mixed with expertise is great listening I, I don't know if I do love football after the weekend when we when, when we lost to Luke Moore's Portsmouth you love but, it and you hate it at the same time anyway um, he says uh, my main reason for get, getting in touch is to hopefully add to your upcoming conversations on mental health in, in football um, I work for Calm a well-being charity that focuses on um, mental health and um uh, Lewis works for the uh, collectives team, um, including uh, Collective is Football, which is uh, something which where, where Calm uses uh, football to uh, work with people and to build a community of fans and players um, so they can feel empowered uh, to use their resources mm-hmm. in footballing communities, which you, you can get involved with that, of course. Um, they're on Twitter, at the Calm Zone, and um, I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about that again. But we really wanted to talk about this subject didn't we about um mental health and, and and football managers and when we were talking about this we didn't really know where to start did we because yeah. it is such a huge topic and then i had a bit of a think about it and then i thought hang on what about ralph ranick he's an interesting one because of course he was um interviewed for the england job uh going back a little while someone who's got enormous respect in german coaching and in the english speaking uh coaching world as the england interview would would, would tell you he's, he's done lots of work with um the red bull franchise in in the last couple of years and um he's uh coached leipzig on two separate occasions and also he's um been the sporting director for for red bull as as well now if if we go back to 2011 he uh quit Schalke after six months and Schalke is an enormous club I mean I think if you go by you know bums on seats they're like the sixth seventh biggest club in the world they, they get enormous wow. attendances and there's a massive pressure there that I think sometimes people outside Germany don't really realize mm. um but uh he he quit uh Schalke when we go back to uh September 2011 um 
citing uh, fatigue syndrome as uh, the reason for it. And he said in his statement at the time, after long and careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion that I need a break. This has been an incredibly difficult decision for me to take, but my current energy levels are not enough to be successful or drive forward the footballing development of the team and the club. And Horst Helt, who was the general manager at Schalke at the time, said, "Uh, we certainly share the view that health should take priority over any professional goals and challenges. Ralph will now withdraw from the game completely until further notice to allow him to make the best possible use of time off he, he needs. And actually, the Schalke team doctor, uh, Torsten Rarick, he pitched in as well. And uh, he said, uh, he realised enough is enough. This is very brave of him. I know a lot of people who are in the same situation would have thought they have to go on. It will take him a few months to, to recover. But unlike depression, burnout is reversible. So he makes the distinction there. Um, but it's, it's clear that we are talking about something that is stress-related, uh, which managers and head coaches are are particularly susceptible to, because not just is it an all-consuming job, as um, we've talked about, and as Andy talked about in his his original email, but I think it's the image you have to project. Mm. And I've thought about this a lot recently when we've looked at the, the, the managerial replacement at Arsenal. So much focus is on the way you project. It's like there can't be a moment when your guard's down. And a lot of the improvement that people feel about Arsenal, and they're still very much a work in progress, you know, we saw that at the weekend, it's the way that Arteta presents himself as opposed to Unai Emery. And to have every sentence picked over, every bit of sentence construction picked over, that is the ultimate scrutiny. So not only are you thinking about all the aspects of the team, and managing the personal relationships within the squad to put on top of the tactics and everything else, the players you might want the next window, all that other sort of stuff. You're thinking about, you know, say if you're writing a book, for example, you can agonise over the words because you know they're going to be down there forever. But you kind of need to have that level of concentration over your words when you're facing the camera because people are always going to throw it back at you. If you phrase something in a way that makes people think something in particular, they're going to batter you over the head with it for the next while. And as a coach, as a head coach or a manager, you are expected to be the leader, to set the tone, to set the philosophy, just like Arteta has done. And basically to show absolutely, it's not compatible with showing vulnerability in any way, shape or form, is it? Yeah, there's so many elements to the job now, isn't there? As a football manager, a football coach that are scrutinised, as you say, there are all the different aspects of the job itself in order to be successful, i.e. essentially you're out there to get wins for the team. Mm. But every area of how you handle yourself especially in the media, in front of the cameras, when you're talking to reporters, when you're talking to um, journalists, that is every element of how you carry yourself, what you look like, how you're speaking, the, the choice of words that you use, your body language. Everything nowadays is scrutinised because we're obsessed. I think we are as football fans and as spectators of the game that we love We are all obsessed with the characters in football. And nowadays, managers have become so much more a focal point than they ever used to be. We're now obsessed with the personalities. Whenever we think about Jurgen Klopp, everyone goes, oh, what a great guy he is because his personality is so vibrant on camera. Do you think that's particularly the case in the Premier League because we have such a concentration of higher level coaches at the top of the league? Yeah, and I think that because football is 
entertainment. At the end of yeah. the day, yeah. like football isn't just a sport anymore. It's not just football because you want to go watch your, your team play. Football has become a part of entertainment. We want to watch it. We want to be entertained. We want, And that goes right from what's happening on the pitch to the whole spectacle, the whole story around a game, all of the kind of... Um, all the speculation about transfers, about managers. Will he get the sack? Won't he get the sack? And then all of that you forget is actually just a human being who's trying to do their job and do it well. And of course, when they apply for jobs and they apply to be coaches, they know that that's going to be part of it. And I think it's probably what puts a lot of people off. I know, you know, a lot of the pundits I work with in in the media, I always say to them when, you know, if it's the first time I'm working with someone, I always say to them, oh, great. So you've retired now. You're doing a bit of telly, you're yeah. doing a bit of radio work, you're podcasting. Um, are you planning to do any coaching? And, the, you know, I would say majority of them, I would say 90% of them go, no, no chance. Not for me that. Nah, don't, don't fancy the pressure. And it's that pressure as a manager of all the things we've just spoken about that must be so difficult for them to manage and 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 that stress and that fatigue that you speak of that you know Martin Ling Leighton Orient's Martin Ling is mm. one of the managers who quite openly spoke about depression and you know he took time off for stress related illnesses and he's one of the only managers I know that has been quite open about speaking about depression yeah yeah i mean i, I think Ralph Ranick was certainly a a leader there i mean we we had other situations in German football in particular, where people are very open about what's affected them. I mean, Sebastian Diesler, who played for uh, Bayern, I mean, that really derailed his career. And, you know, I think he was open about it because he, he didn't really have any any, any choice in the matter. Um, but it, it is something that, that I think is very, very difficult for, for, for managers and head coaches. I mean, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about this, weren't we, um, off air with relation to... Uh, Pep Guardiola and Jose Mourinho, who are, you know, you can't think of two more iconic coaches, really, can you, in the in the last 20 years of yeah. of, of world football. Um, but we were discussing, I, I can't remember who I was discussing with a, a, a while back, um, the fact that their rivalry in the Premier League, when they're at City and United, and now with Mourinho being back in the Premier League, has never reached the same intensity that it did when they were at Barcelona and Real Madrid. Now, part of that, of course, is because it's Barcelona and Real Madrid, you know, two of the most, um, you know, well-known enemies in, in, in world football. On the other hand, I think, I don't think either, either of them want that anymore because the, the level of intensity was just way too much. You think at the end of that, Guardiola looked exhausted and took a year off. Now, part of that was because of internal factors at Barcelona and what he was expected to deal with and what he was expected to, the way he was expected to lead the club there. I think he was absolutely exhausted. Um, but I think the same for Mourinho as well. He was worn down not just by the internal conflict at, at Real Madrid, but the whole Guardiola versus Mourinho thing. I mean, it was it was too much. It was absolutely too much. And you, you ended up with that situation where, you know, they, they played each other, what was it, four times in 19 days over uh, Liga, Copa del Rey and um, Champions League. And at that point, I think not only did the public think, wow, maybe we've had enough of this, mm. but definitely the two coaches thought, yeah, we've had enough of this. And, you know, they are, you know, two of the, two of the, the, the coaches who you think of as, you know, kind of invincible, really. 
Yeah, that's potentially why it maybe didn't get as heated in the Premier League. And maybe because it had been done before as a rivalry that maybe yeah. maybe by that point when they were facing off against each other in the Premier League, it was kind of already done. Um, but I do vividly remember at the end of Jose Mourinho's tenure at Manchester United, you know, there was such a, it felt like such a long period that he was facing the sack towards yeah. the end. And he just looked broken. He looked so stressed. He looked so, he looked not the same man. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He just didn't look like the same Jose Mourinho who we're so used to be to seeing sort of well turned out and being, you know, that that kind of really good looking Portuguese kind of do you know what I mean? Like that yeah. kind of stallion. Well, when, when he when he just, first when he first arrived in He was English the good looking coach, was, wasn't he? Wow. Yeah. Look at Mourinho. Yeah. He yeah. was that kind of that A list coach in it was terms a bit of Wolf of Wall Street, absolutely, wasn't it? When he absolutely. when he turned up in England. And it just got to, when it got to the end of that stressful time at Manchester United, just looked like a different man. Yeah, yeah, he, he absolutely did, and um, I think it's an interesting thing. You know, when you think of like say someone like Mauricio Pochettino, who's out of work at the moment, and you know he's been linked in recent days with the Barcelona job, which I still think he'd never take because of his Espanol background. That doesn't stop them from asking him, of course, <laughs> but. I've said that, well, I think he should leave it to the end of the season, not just because um, I think he'll have a much better choice of jobs at the end of the season. And yeah, maybe the Manchester United job will will be one of those. There are quite a few big ones across Europe that that, that could be coming up and a lot of those would be interested in him. Not only so you can recharge your batteries, but I, I do think that energy thing is a huge part of it because the further you are away from, unless you're taking like, what, two, three years out of the game and you start to reach that sort of curbishly zone. I, th- I think if, if you're away from the game somewhere between, I don't know, three to four months and a year. Completely like, out of work, you mean? Yeah, mm. your legend grows. There's no doubt about it. There's people start thinking, oh, wow. I don't remember the end bit. They're like, oh, he did a great job at Dortmund. He did a great job at Spurs or, or, or something like that. And you become so attractive. But it's also, I think, because you're out of the game and you are recharging your batteries, you start to look re-energized and yeah. vital. And, you know, the guy you looked at the beginning rather than, oh, God, we, we haven't yeah. won in seven games and Un- I don't know what to do with my team. Unlike a relationship breakup, you remember the good times and not the bad times when you look <laughs> yeah. back, don't you? Yeah, no, and yeah, and then like obviously if you're the lucky one in the breakup, you end up coming back looking better and feeling better as well. That's what Pochettino clearly wants. Are, are you saying that's going to be Pochettino and not Spurs? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that it's um, it's interesting to know whether the way that coaches are kind of treated in the media the way that the way that we are so obsessed with managers every moves and the amount of work that coaches and managers have to do in terms of their actual daily duties in the job it's interesting to know whether a lot of the stress will kind of come away if more clubs are structured with having a sporting director. I don't know whether that would maybe lessen the stress on a lot of these managers if they had more help behind the scenes to do some of the other jobs and then that would take some of the load off of them. I think it has to be. I think in any right-thinking club that that has to be the case because a, a, a manager, you I think you can't have managers anymore, old British style managers like uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and like Arsene Wenger who just do everything. everything. I think I think that's too much. 
um, especially with the way that transfers are so layered and there's so many different aspects to deal with and so many different interests to deal with nowadays. I don't think that's that's reasonable at all. And, mm. you know, you look at how that was for Guardiola, especially in his last year, year and a half at Barcelona, where he was meant to be um, not just the coach, but the football brains of the team, the guy who decided what they were going to do with players going forward, the guy who represented them in terms of what Barcelona meant for Catalonia. That was all too much. And when you read um, Marty Perrineau's book, uh, Pep Confidential, which is terrific about his first season in charge of Bayern Munich, you get the impression that Guardiola loved it so much because he just had to coach the team. Because Bayern are structurally strong and even if he did have an opinion on all that other stuff, they wouldn't care about his opinion about all that other stuff or they they, they wouldn't take that on board. Maybe, maybe they'd be interested yeah. to listen to him. But he's not the one who made the big decisions with the club. It's just you get out there, work with the team and that's it. And he loved that. And it's interesting the way that Manchester, United, uh, Manchester City lured Guardiola over a number of years was by setting up a sort of technical setup of management that would basically deal with all that stuff. So they were kind of replicating those conditions for him in Manchester. You know, I mentioned a minute ago about, um, you know, when I work with footballers that have just retired and I ask them, what do you want to do, go into coaching or, yeah. or go into media? And most of them say media. I reckon that that's probably the biggest turnoff about going into coaching. It's not actually the coaching and the being the manager. It's everything else that comes with it. I reckon a lot of them would want to go into managing and coaching a team, i.e. still being on the football pitch, still working with the team tactically and doing yeah. all that stuff, but not wanting the pressure of all the other stuff and having to do the interviews and having to be in the spotlight and having that extra pressure. And I think that's probably a big reason as to why a lot of recently retired players don't want to go into coaching. Yeah, and like when you've got a, a, a ton of money, you just want to enjoy your life, mm, surely. Yeah, they probably just think, you know what, sod that. I've, I've done all my hard work now. I just want to enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely something attractive about the idea of imparting knowledge on to a next generation. I, I could definitely understand that if you were a recently retired former player. So like maybe do a few days of coaching a week with younger players and then just go home and live your life. Yeah, and spend time with your wife and your kids that you know you spent so much time of your life up to that point traveling being away yeah not spending time with the family i know they get a nice couple of months off in the summer but it's not the same you know no, it's, it's all of the daily stuff that you kind of miss out on that, that's taken for granted well we should get into some of these um correspondence points because we've got quite a lot of them quite a lot following on from our fa cup discussion mm. uh last week jules um split opinions and really interesting uh split opinions there's one from uh, kim andre uh, schmedegaard here and um it says um as a norwegian born in 1981 i grew up with english football every saturday at uh, 4 p.m not knowing who's playing until the saturday coming along hoping it would be your team playing was something i always remember there were friends who chose their team uh, by saying I'm going to support the home away team in the game Saturday and then got stuck with a rather unglamorous team. <laughs> this was back when it was just one game on the Saturday we got and the FA Cup meant a lot as it was the extra time we got to see the English players. Yeah. In the last decade we've been basically able to watch any game we want 
on any platform we want. And I do think this is why I simply don't have the same love for the FA Cup. Makes sense. Any, anymore. Um, there, there's, there's other people who've um, got uh, personal stories about uh, why they've fallen out of love with the, the FA Cup, like uh, Nathan Walker, who tells us about his... Uh, trip down uh, to see uh, Bolton play with uh, against Stoke. I think we all remember that one. Um, what happened was the worst 90 minutes of football I've ever witnessed. Being beaten 5-0 in an FA Cup semi-final was beyond terrible. The four-hour coach journey home was very solemn to say the least. Since then, I've never been drawn back to the FA Cup due to the humiliation. <laughs> Try being Watford after losing 6-0 in a final. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that is true. Um, but we, we have had um, some uh, younger people as well as as I trailed earlier, uh, we've got uh, Kieran Edmonds who said, um, uh, age 19, I'm fully on board with the FA Cup. I know that it, alongside the League Cup are the only opportunities for my team West Ham to win something. Mm-hmm. Also, when I first, first started going to football, my dad would always take me to a game in the third round every year. So the cheaper tickets are helping to widen the audience. That's something you can't yes, underrate as, as, yeah. as, as well. Um, by coincidence, my first game was West Ham versus Brighton in the yes. FA Cup in 2007. West, oh. Hold your horses. West Ham oh, right, won yeah. 3-0 <laughs> like, thanks to Noble, Noble and Carlton Cole. Sorry, Jules. I thought he was going to talk about when uh, Brighton did the double over them in the Premier League a couple of seasons ago. No. No, not that time, Kieran. Okay, I'll forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got another young person's um, perspective on, on the on the FA Cup. Uh, Matt Woodburn uh, says, uh, "Really been enjoying the show since the start of the season. So Cheers, uh, keep up the good work." I'm a 21 year old Man United fan and really enjoy the FA Cup. However, I don't feel that Premier League clubs view it as a big deal due to the relatively small prize pot and fixture congestion. Um, the financially strong clubs don't care if they lose, hence playing heavily rotated sides. Mm, I think that's just a debate that's going to keep going and going and going, isn't it? And and we talk about how important the financial um, implications of getting through to the next round of the FA Cup are for the smaller teams. And I think that's what still makes it exciting. I still love, I love a good cup upset. I love a good story in the FA Cup. And like we talked about last week, seeing young players being given the opportunity um, is always a, a really nice part of the FA Cup as well. Yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, we've got a few tweets as as, as well. Um, one from James Heather saying, can you think of any other examples of a team losing by a score like 9-0 and then being so good for the 10 games after? Ah. Hashtag Saints FC. They did. They were brilliant at the weekend, weren't they, that, Southampton? That, that, was, that was pretty incredible, isn't mm. it? Interesting one from Lincoln Sweat here. How important do you think that a language barrier is on the pitch? As a Spurs fan, I often see that Delhi and Lucas can't seem to get positioning and passes correct. Do you think that has something to do with the language as we know English is not Lucas' first language. That mm. is true, yeah, um, yeah. but he, he does speak decent English. I think it's very, very hard to communicate with a player who's running as fast as Lucas Mora. <laughs> I, I, I think that's that's got to be a big thing. And I think it is about personalities as well. Sometimes, you know, maybe you struggle to understand people even if you are speaking the, the, the same language. Mm. And also, we have to look at Sergio Aguero, who only just has started doing very, very small interviews in English Apparently now, hasn't he? he speaks perfectly good English, though. What is, uh, really? According to Michael Richards on Match of the Day 2, he said, oh, he speaks good English, he just avoids the interviews. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that, that that's, that's something that uh, Atem Ben Arfa used to do when he was, at, he was at Newcastle. He always used to say, no English, no I've English. I've had it at a women's and game before. I've asked really? to interview a player and they're like, oh no, she doesn't speak any English. And then someone I know who knows her was like, she does speak English. She doesn't, doesn't want to do the interview. The, the, the way to get through it with Ben Arthur, I think the, the, the journalists who were based in Newcastle in the end worked out if you cornered him and really flattered him about his performance, 
it would it. it would start flowing. I, I remember doing a game um, in, in Portugal with uh, Dinamo Kiev some years ago and um, asking the Ukrainian journalists who were there, are there any of the Dinamo players, because I don't speak Ukrainian, who... <laughs> Um, it's one of the languages you don't speak, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, with Shakhtar Donetsk, it was really easy because they had loads of Brazilians. So that, that was fine. But with, with Dinamo, it was, it was purely Ukrainians. So I said uh, to some of the Ukrainian journalists, is, are there any of them that, that speak English? And one of them went to, yeah, Shovkovsky, the, 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 the goalkeeper, he speaks excellent English. And um, I, I, I went up to him and I, I was like, can we uh, grab a quick word with you? He goes, I'm terribly sorry. The standard of my English is very poor. I won't be able to help you. Good night. <laughs> ah, speaks better English than me. Yeah, on, 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 <laughs> honestly, he sounded like Windsor Davis or, 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 or Kenneth Williams or something like that. It was incredible. Um, one thing that I would really like us to end on today, Andy, because it's sensational. Uh, James Tortoise on Twitter has replied to Memphis Depay's tweet that he posted a couple of days ago of his latest music video and James says I'm really looking forward to hearing Andy Brassel dissect this with Jules Breach on this week's Football Ramble so we've had a little watch of Memphis doing his best put the money in the back I'll be really on it she wanna come back maybe I'm sorry doing his best <laughs> <laughs> oh there's a sledge oh, if ever I heard one look he's no Lacardia alright Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. This music what? video. Can I say the thing that distracted me the most, James, in this is um, in part of the video when he's wearing this purpley sort of blue waistcoat thing. I couldn't work out whether it was... It's, is it a baseball it's jacket? I don't know what it is, but it's, it is quite something. It's like a... I'll try and describe it to you. He's wearing like a white long sleeve top and then over the top of it, what I thought was a purple shiny waistcoat was not a waistcoat. It looks like it's like a sleeveless hoodie, I think, that he's worn over the top of a sweater. That's right, what it looks like to me. N- now you're making it, with the purple, now you're making it sound like it's a Tottenham Hotspur training gear. It's not great. I mean, this would be where speculation starts if he wasn't currently long-term <laughs> injured, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh. But you know you know what? What is it about Dutch players and, 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 and music in they their spare their time? They love their music, don't they? They, they? they certainly do. I mean... I think really now that Memphis has got a bit of time off, maybe he could do something together with Jurgen Lacardia. I mean, there is the PSV Eindhoven connection. So I'm, uh, I'm loving all the slow-mo shots in there. And oh, it's just, I'm looking at the purple waistcoat thing again. I still can't work out what it is. You don't think it's that bad, do you? Honestly, I've seen worse. When when he, <laughs> he turned up, like for the for the first time, he was at the, the the French like equivalent of the PFA Awards after he'd scored one of the goals of the season against Toulouse from the halfway line. He, he turned up in this I can't even describe it. This black with gold embroidery jacket. Oh, it, was, it was it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. We'll have to find it out. Find out uh, a picture of it. Uh, dig it out and stick it on Twitter. It's it's amazing. There's also nothing more superstar than just wearing sunglasses the whole time, even if you're indoors. And that's what Memphis does in his video. Yeah, it's su- surprising. We've never seen him wearing them on the pitch, really. <laughs> James, thank you very much for highlighting that because uh, that was a real treat for me yesterday when I was uh, looking at that video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, is that it, Andy? I think we'll end on that. Shall we end on that? It's a great note to end on. Let's. Let's do it. All right, well, have a good week. We'll be back same time, same place next week for more Jules and Andy. Have a lovely week. This was a Stakhanov production.